Welcome to the Master Retention Podcast presented by UserWise, where we talk to top mobile game experts about their experiences running successful games. The role of a product manager can vary widely depending on what industry they are in, and even then, companies within the same industry often define that role differently. Regardless of how a product manager role is defined, it requires someone that can balance the big picture and the small details. This week, Tom speaks with Stav Klausner, head of product at SciPlay, about the balancing act of being a product manager and loosely defines what the ideal video game product manager should look like. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention Podcast. I'm Tom Hammond, co-founder of UserWise and your host today. Um, today, I am delighted to have Ms. Stav Klausner on with us. Um, I don't think I quite got your name right, but uh, we'll, we'll call it the American version. <laughs> No, you actually got it really good. <laughs> okay, pretty close. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is going to be super fun. We're going to be talking about product and product management and all sorts of things, which is often on my mind. So I, I can't wait for that. Um, but Stav, you've been in this industry for a long time, uh, working at a lot of really awesome companies. Um, but before we you know, dive into everything, I always like to ask, like, what's your story? Like, how did you end up working in games? Wow. So um, actually, I'm one of the lucky people. Uh, I I got into it totally by accident. Um, I finished school. Uh, I started working at this like uh, large scale software company. Um, and then a couple of people that I knew moved to online gaming. Uh, and apparently in, in Tel Aviv, there are a lot of online gaming companies. So I just sent uh, my CV through a friend and that's how I got in. And once you're in, it's like a, a snowball effect. You have the expertise and, you know, it's easier to, to move on to other gaming companies. And yeah. also once you're in, it's, you know, it's a better industry. I mean, at least from, for me, because, um, Previously, being in large-scale software, you work with a lot of, um, I I hope it's okay that I'm saying, but like nerds. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's super technical and people are super serious. And then you go to gaming and you sit with management and you talk about art and you get these uh, feelings and, you know, everything. It's, it's very wide. It's like a bit about everything. You have art yeah. people, you have uh sensitive people you have the, the tech nerdy people so and you have a psychology so yep. it's really interesting it takes a village and a little bit of magic to really you know make the the game all come together um cool so tel aviv you know it's like this san francisco of well, everything. I mean, there's so much tech stuff going on over there. It's just, you know, it's crazy right now. Um, but I, I heard something recently from a CEO of a social gaming company that is based in the U.S. And he kind of said, you know, even if we manage to get the same sort of tools and infrastructure in place as a lot of those companies over in Israel do, and they don't, but you know, even if we manage to get there, I still think our outcomes would be very different because um, the people over there just seem to be so good at doing things like monetization and personalizing player experiences and stuff. Um, so I'm curious, um, have you gone through any sort of like training program or like, is there a way for MindShift for anyone that's not based in Tel Aviv of like, I want to emulate some of that, you know, micro segmentation or whatnot that I have in my games? Like, is, is there a recipe or, or a way that I could at least start to approach that? Well, I'll start off just by saying that um, I don't know if there is this uh, saying in English, the neighbor's grass is greener. <laughs> 
So I was just having a conversation today with someone about the fin, the Phoenix, like in Finland, that they have, yeah. they're the, they're the gurus <laughs> of gaming. So uh, it all depends where you look at. Um, I think, yeah, it's true. We do know how to focus on monetization, but I don't know why exactly. I mean, I, I, um, I don't know why it is, but if you want to like do a recipe, I would say um, don't go into personalization, do segments. Um, when I was um, in a studio working and we went to full BI, full um, um, automa automation and trying to do, um, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, um, those things take a lot of time and you need a lot of, a lot of analysis and you can get lost and it just doesn't fit the pace the pace that mm -hmm. uh, you have so never go to personalization stay with segments and define your segments well if you have a small team uh don't do so many segments but you know try to keep it uh low spenders um and all the rest pending your uh, spender buckets. Yeah. Well, think about that a little bit. because I think that's actually a very, very hard uh, problem that a lot of game studios have is how do I define my segments? I've got all this player data and I know that I should do segmentation, but I just don't really know how to. And even if I'm looking at like you know, the traditional uh, non-spender minnow, dolphin, and whale kind of thing. Um, I, I don't even know if that necessarily captures it because I could have spent $100 in this game three years ago, and I haven't spent anything since, but I traditionally might be considered a whale. Should I be? Um, so I, I'm curious if you've had any, you know, examples of where you made segments that went disastrously because you did it wrong or you made a segment that you didn't expect to actually work but actually ended up working really well so if you're starting off with an app just simplify it do it the last six months or the last 12 months um if you're uh you know if you have enough resources you can and you have someone that's super uh into the numbers, you can do uh, an equation that takes into account when you last uh, spent, and then you have like a habit uh, mm -hmm. that it decreases over months. Uh, but it really, it really depends on how much resources you have. Definitely, you should consider uh, the time when you spent it. Uh, if you spent a hundred dollars uh, two months ago, it's not the same like a player that's within his two weeks. Uh, mm -hmm. Actually, I've recently heard that you can um, you can really uh, identify a whale by his uh, purchase habits in the first two weeks only. So, mm -hmm. if you want to put your uh, energy, I would put it there. <laughs> that's cool. Um, that's interesting. So, equations. Now, does that get into personalization land? Because you know, if I think about like myself, um, you know. Maybe I want to play this game and I feel comfortable spending, let's say, five or ten dollars a month. And, and maybe you'd get me with a battle pass, but like let's assume that you want to get me to spend a little bit more or something, and you want to give me a special offer. And for you know, maybe you, maybe five dollars a week is perfect. So we want to get you an offer per week. So are you kind of suggesting writing some sort of you know algorithm that figures out, hey, Stav is, is most likely to purchase, you know, one offer per week. So we should do a $5 offer every seven days. Tom is going to do that every two weeks or whatever. Um, and no. then that kind of presents that or something different. Definitely not. Again, you're <laughs> going, you're going to lose yourself very quickly. Do the personalization just for the habit of the purchase and then put me into my correct bucket. So if I fall to the $5, put me in the $5. If I uh, fall into the 20, put me in the 20. Mm. Um, there's no way to do it so personalized without uh, making manual errors when configuring it, 
Um, and, and come on, who wants to get an offer that's $16 versus $17? It doesn't matter. Just, yeah. you know, <laughs> give something close. No, that, that's great. Um, okay. Uh, have you ever done segmentation um, related to like the cohort start date? Like, you know, group people by the week that they joined the app kind of a thing? Definitely, definitely. Uh, you're talking about first time user experience. And this is something that um, it depends on. Um, it, it depends on the focus that your uh, company has. Uh, so just for the sake of the, the conversation, um, when I uh, worked at Platica, uh, we have yearly goals. So mm -hmm. besides the revenue and uh, the purchase of uh, the uh, PPU, the uh, uh, payers, uh, okay. we have we always have something that's related to the DAO. So uh, at the beginning it was DAO, but then in social casino the DAO is decreasing, so they changed it into uh, payer DAO, and mm -hmm. then finally they changed it, they changed it into thirty day retention. So that's when we really had to go dive deep deep into the. Uh, into the segmentation, uh, it was there was always a thirty day protocol. There's a protocol for everything. There, there's retargeting protocol. Uh, everything has its, uh, um, you know, logic. So basically, there's special offers for the first days uh, in the app, and they keep changing pending uh, the day you came back. Mm. Um, so we keep it like, uh, at least in the time that I was in Playdica, you look very, very close at the first seven days, then there's the 14 days, and then there's the 30 days. Uh, and if you haven't purchased by then, then you just go, you fall into the non-purchase bucket and you get the different economy. Because at the beginning, you have a different economy. You have to mm. really take a close look. That's really cool. So basically, if if you and I both downloaded Slotomania today, in theory, or or some game that's very much like Slotomania, we won't talk about it exactly. But um, we both play today. We have a good time. We both forget about it tomorrow. Um, then the day after that, I log in. I play some more. I would get special offer A. You forget about it on that day too, and then you come back on let's say Sunday you would end up maybe getting a different offer than me because you came back on day three or four, whereas I came on two, kind of a thing. Exactly. Cool. Very cool. Okay. Um, so I want to switch gears just a little bit and we'll, we'll get back to this, but um, product managers, kind of like a, a mini CEO of the game or at least the area that you're in. Um, I'm curious, have you learned any lessons through your time kind of in product management and now, you know, leading product? Um, you know, how can you be a better product manager? Oh, I, I did move around a bit that product management is very <laughs> different in, in every company that I've met. Uh, sometimes it's like, uh, it's it's more focused execution. I mean, not more focused, but also focused uh, execution. Sometimes, um, uh, you know, if it's a small app, it's it's much more easier. It, it, it really depends. Uh, in in some uh, studios that I've worked with, they actually um, they actually split the part into the product and the producer. Mm -hmm. uh, the person who works with uh, the development team. In some companies, you have a project manager that's leading more the execution. So it's very, very different. Um, the question was how to be a better product, right? Yeah. How, uh, how can you be a better product manager? Because I'm sure all of our product managers all want to get better, right? Yeah, definitely. So um, you have to understand like the psychology behind it and what's the like what breaks you, what, what's the pressure points, uh, where's uh, the risk of ruin, the loss of version. And if you don't feel it on your own skin, then you're never gonna, you're, you're never gonna succeed. So just 
play a lot, uh, try to, you know, a, how do you say, reverse engineer every app you play, try to put the focus on why, why did they do it now? And, you know, you can, you can criticize also not, not everyone know what they're doing and sometimes everyone makes mistakes. So, uh, but, but it's really like connect to your feelings because basically that's what we're doing. We're providing people entertainment and we want them to have fun, but <laughs> there's also this, uh, uh, I don't know if uh, you saw this episode on South Park. If you're a product manager, go see it. It's, uh, I don't remember the name. It's, I think, the Barely Fun episode with, uh, with uh, <laughs> they're talking about all the freemium games being yep. barely fun. So it is basically that, you know, you're having fun and then you run out of money. So <laughs> we, we, you have to keep that balance all the time. Mm. Uh, that's, that's very interesting to think about. Um, as a product manager, um, do you think it's important to try to maintain almost like a dual vision? So being able to jettison out, you know, 10,000 feet above your game or your product, whatever area you're over, and just see kind of how it all connects together, really get that big picture, but also be able to zoom in on any of those minute little details that you're over and know how it all works together, where the problems are, you know, what controls what and why. Definitely, definitely. You have to know it because um, <clears throat> when you're doing a new feature, you're not defining just your feature. Okay, you can be a product manager that uh, is in love with this feature and then you won't prioritize correctly or you'll you'll put your feature above other features, even if it's not in the correct priority, right? Because you have your, your seasonal, then you have the three days and you don't want it always to appear. Don't put too many tooltips because it's just going to annoy. And don't forget that the players are there for the core game. <laughs> They're not there for your feature. Okay. It has to be supplements to their core game. Uh, in the beginning, when I just started, uh, you know, we did so many mistakes. We put, uh, you know, when you collect the resources, we yeah. stopped the spin. We interfered with the spin. And this is why the players are there. They're not supposed to. <laughs> So we changed immediately after, I mean, after a long time that we realized we changed everything. It just it's, it has to be very seamlessly. Again, you have to do the balance. It appears it's noticeable, but it doesn't interfere with the core gameplay. Mm. So ultimately, you need to make sure that everything filters back to that, you know, core loop. Um, how do I drive that core gameplay that's actually fun? And maybe this feature gives a little bit more of the same but different or a different way to engage in that core loop or can make that core loop more fun or, or, or something like that. But it all has to still tie into that core gameplay, right? Exactly. Usually, yeah. you know, you have the core game, which is uh, your base. And then when you play it, it feeds off of your uh, secondary uh, secondary feature. Uh, which which it gives reward to the seasonal, which is the primary feature. And all of them by completion feed the core game loop. So you also always have to keep that loop in, uh, in uh, your mind when you're thinking of how to design it. Yeah. Okay. So you touched a little bit on one of the topics I wanted to spend a fair bit of time on today. Um, and that is feature prioritization. Um, so... I don't know about you or any other product manager that's been out there, but I usually find that on any product of any given scale, you have probably at least a hundred things, probably more like a thousand things that, you know, you've got in your Jira prioritization system that, you know, you could be working on to say nothing of all the other ideas that are floating around in your head and suggestions that are coming from players and, you know, everywhere else. And you've got all this competition that's going on and you're always playing your competitors apps and they've got some new feature and, oh, do I need that? What's going on? Um, I feel like it's very easy to just be jumpy, reactive. Oh, 
so-and-so did this, I need to get that in right away. Um, but what's your process for actually figuring out what is the right feature to be working on right now with the resources that we have, you know, per our roadmap to actually achieve our goals? So um, it's true, you don't wanna be too jumpy, but that being said, you still have to be agile. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like, it, it all starts with building a roadmap that uh, makes sense. Uh, you have your KPIs, you know uh, what are the soft spots of your app and you know how to reach your KPI uh, goals, how to reach your goals. And I would say that the correct balance would be, uh, and again, it depends on the number of uh, development uh, teams that you have. Um, even Slotomania, for, for example, they have a lot of development teams. I mean, they have the most development teams from the companies that I worked with. And their roadmap usually includes uh, one, um, one innovative feature a year. Hmm. So it just shows you we're all copying from everyone. Uh, and when the one hit, you just see it everywhere. Um, and it's because it's really, really hard to do good features. Um, it's hard. You don't know what the players will react to. Um, so that's why I think everyone's moving to the, the pods, the Spotify, uh, you know, um, a structure where you can uh, deliver quickly and see results and then change quickly. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're changing your roadmap, but it means you're building a really really uh, small, important MVP, and then you're you're adding on top of it if it succeeded or not. And still avoid too many innovations because we just we just don't know. Yeah. You know, people in the entertainment business, they invest, I don't know how many millions of dollars in movies and they crash, mm-hmm. that happens. So luckily we, we don't cost so much. <laughs> yeah. So do you have any sort of system? Like, let's say I, I've, I'm down to maybe five features that I could do for my, you know, one per year or whatever. Um, do you have a way of, of going through and weighting those? You know, I've heard of some people that will put it on a spreadsheet and they'll have a column for like technical complexity length of project, likelihood of success and X, Y, Z, and you put a value in each, you multiply it and then the score comes out and you say, okay, well, we should do this one, you know, or we should do this one, which, you know, one might have have a higher chance of success, but a lower outcome. Like, you know, at best, we're going to get a 5% gain from this. You know, we might have another one that's very risky, but the chance that it's going to, you know, Add is going to be like a 200% gain or something like that. And then you can kind of weight those along with technical complexity and everything else. Um, have you used something like that or do you have like a different formula? I would, I would love to say that there's a formula and I'm sure there is, <laughs> but the, that's so theoretical and that's just not what we do in, in Israel. We're gut people and there's also, uh, you know, there's there's office politics and there's there's <laughs> gut feelings and at the end of it, it all depends on the people who are deciding and take the risks. Uh, so yeah, I would say it's more like a, a gut feeling. But if you have something, you know, if you don't want to risk it too much, uh, mm-hmm. do something that you know and just do a variation of it Hmm. um but no there's uh saying there's a formula and this one is better than this one it's just of course if it's if duration you have to take into consideration right uh if it if it takes too much and this is a quick win then then probably better to do the quick one but total gut feeling yeah that's great so i i was talking with some guys earlier today um, well, guys and gals, I should say. Um, but one of the questions that came out of that was, um, hey, we're looking at, you know, building out like a, a new live ops platform kind of a thing, or I think they were looking at using us too. But um, they kind of said, how do you measure the success of a campaign? 
And, you know, I kind of had the same question. Um, you know, you talked about KPI goals a bit, um, but I, the thing that I struggle with, you know, when it comes to a game is there's a lot of different KPIs that are, you know, pretty important. Like if you run a campaign or you add a new feature or something and my monetization goes up by 20%, but my retention goes down by 10%, is that actually a successful feature? Is that something I need to roll back? Like how, how do you maintain, you know, multiple KPIs or is everything just ultimately should it be rolled up into LTV? Um, well, it's hard. It's very hard to look at retention together with other KPIs because, and that's why we try to like have in the, in the first week, at least some mm -hmm. kind of, uh, known experience, uh, and the hardcore features that we do, the new features, they open up in level 30. It takes a bit yeah. of time to get there. Uh, how do you test features? Uh, wow, there was um, uh, a lot of debate, I remember, on the uh, analysts' side, and they eventually came to this uh, conclusion that if you really want to test something, then, then upload it just to 80% of your population and see what it does. You can put uh, a different promo that you know maintains a run rate of I don't know X, and do this promo for the eighty percent and see the differences. And that's the only way you can really know. Mm -hmm. um, when you have a back-to-back -back, uh, album collection, whatever feature that's uh, you know three months, you can't really do that. Uh, so the only way you'll know is probably when you have delays and you see the revenue drop. <laughs> <laughs> when you don't have anything there. <laughs> Everyone is overjoyed to hear that. But yeah, I, I think that's been the experience that a lot of people have. Um, okay, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, and you're an expert in terms of, you know, game products and stuff. Um, I know a lot of people that are in the process of starting a studio or have recently started a studio. Um, what, like products and services and platforms and things do they need outside of just like the core game so you know i think it's one thing to build a game it's another thing to actually scale that game up and actually be able to operate it you know kind of as a service so i'm, I'm curious you know if we we're starting a studio today um, what things would we need to build or buy or secure to be able to actually you know turn that game into a gaming business so I would definitely uh, buy a service of uh, BI, mm -hmm. uh, dashboards, everything, anything you can outsource at the beginning, uh, because uh, you know you don't know if your app is going to succeed. So don't scale up at the beginning. Outsource everything. Make yep. sure you have someone that's responding to the App Store ratings. Super important. Mm -hmm. um, if you have some kind of a uh, customer support outsource, uh, that would be great. Focus on your VIPs because you won't get to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, I think I will focus on those three. Yeah. Do you think attribution MMPs are, are important for kind of early stage or can you get by without one for a little while? Can you explain? Like like your apps flyer, or your ad just for kind of measuring the oh. return on ad spend. Uh, yeah, you probably, you're probably going to need that <laughs> as well. Uh, I don't know how much money you're going to invest on, uh, on publishing. It's, it's. Well, I mean, if we're that. starting the studio, we're investing millions, right? You know, we're, we're just right. going to <laughs> uh wow it's uh it's it, it really depends uh the roi usually i don't know maybe in a new app it, it, it should be no longer than half a year uh yeah definitely you you need to anything you can you can monitor with uh, outside help yeah you brought up something with those vip players that is something that i've found uh, very interesting. Um, as a product manager, um, how often should you be talking to players um, and what sort of insights can you 
actually gain from players versus, you know, sometimes I think they might lead you down the rabbit hole of creating the wrong feature because you're designing just for one person versus everyone. But have you had any experiences with that? Yeah, definitely. So um, there's the Pareto rule designed for uh, 80%. These VIP players are 80% of the revenue, most mm -hmm. likely. Um, and sometimes the customer doesn't know what, what he wants. So I wouldn't ask him necessarily what's missing. Uh, you know, you can ask, but it doesn't mean you're going to do it. But I definitely, I definitely, uh, every time a new feature comes out, um, pulse checks to talk to, uh, uh, to VIPs, it's super important. They just give you a whole new perspective on like things you, th you thought. What's the first thing they do is the most important thing for me because it helps me like understand like what's the target they do here. And I, I would like I would never think of the things they would tell me alone. And each one has their own preferences. Uh, but when you talk to, I don't know, let's say 20, 30 people even, uh, you can get a really good understanding. So super important and it doesn't have to be a long interview it can be just half an hour uh mm -hmm. just to understand who the audience you're talking with do you remember one of those like you know conversations where you're like why would they do this first or, or you know you were kind of blown off and, and yeah yeah it was when i was working at huge that um Huge is mostly uh huge games uh huge casino is is mostly mm -hmm. built on the clubs and uh, I really didn't understand how much um, important the club is to them and how much willing to invest in the club events they are until it just keep, kept repeating itself again and again. Like a player told me, listen, I want to play this, but I need to play the club events first. My uh, club uh, members, they're counting on me to finish the event so they can get rewards. And, you know, it's kind of a strange, like for a player, for a gamer, you say most of the people don't like that people are like living on their expense, but no, they're, they know it and, and they do it because of that. They want they want their club members to stay and because they're the ones who fund them. That was really mind blowing for me. Interesting. Did that change the way that you did any features after that? Yeah, definitely. But anyway, it didn't really change a lot. You know, when we defined an event, we always had a threshold for distributing it to other club members or not. So we just kept that threshold uh, above zero. So, so players will enjoy even if they didn't play. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, having played Clash of Clans and then Clash Royale for like years. I don't know at what point it happened, but somewhere in like year one or year two, I really started playing the game because I felt this obligation to like my clan where right? I have to log in, have to do my, you know, clan battle or my prep battles. I got to, you know, donate troops to support my clan, whatever. Um, and like that was the daily task. Now, usually I'd end up like, playing a little bit too after I like got in and do that but like you you feel this like obligation to come in and, and do it um and I honestly think I would have quit both of those games years before I did um if they didn't have that social obligation mechanic which is very interesting so I can tell you another thing about social, which is super interesting. I'm uh, trying to interview, I'm interviewing, I have an open position for a product manager. And uh, one of the uh, questions in my test is um, what product, what feature would you improve? And a lot of them, like, I don't know, 80% in the test talk about the social aspect. And it's something that like in casino, at least we, we always try to keep the anonymity about like, yeah. uh, don't post in Facebook. Don't like say who the player is, uh, but everyone's going, going social. And I think maybe that's something in our generation that's super strong, mm. uh, that we're social beings, social media is what defines us. So we have to have that connection. Yeah. 
how do you add social to like, like if I'm thinking of a slots game, even if I go to the casino, I feel like it's, it's kind of an intimate thing of like just me and the machine, um, save maybe like one time in college where we, you know, we all had a couple bucks and we went and we played dime slots. And then, you know, when we won, we all cheered and we, you know, we made like 20 bucks or something, but, um, you know, short of that, where we're all just around the one machine, like it seems like it's kind of a single player experience. So how, how would you take that and add social elements into that? It's, it's funny that you say that because when I was in Vegas, I, <laughs> maybe it's just me because I'm a social person. I, I'm chatting with the people next to me. I'm like, someone sat next to me, he pressed spin and he got the free spins on the first spin. And I was like, wow, you're so lucky. Or, or another person, he saw me looking in the info tables and uh, in the info pages, and he was like, you st- just started a conversation with me, and we just started talking. So, um, yeah, I think chat is something that maybe people want, uh, but like at least in a, in social casino, I think the clubs is something that works really good. You can uh, work together against the house. Uh, for years, I was under the impression, like everyone around me or was under the impression that slot players don't like to compete against others. And only now in, uh, like the, 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 like last two years, I would say we're understanding that there, there are players that like to compete against one another. Um, I don't know if it's usually the more um, progressive players, like the the, the high spenders, uh, but there's definitely different personas and there's definitely competitors as well. Uh, but if you want to go safe, start with the um, club together against the house. That's great. Yeah, everyone wants to beat the house, right? So, mm-hmm. love it. Um, cool. Um, I know we don't have too much time, but can we talk a little bit about uh, monetization tools? Like what sort of tooling do you need to be able to deliver, you know, high quality monetization experiences, especially when you're like adding elements of segmentation? Um, So as an example, I know a lot of games that have five generic offers that everyone gets. Um, I have a theory that if I add some segmentation and I go from maybe five to 500 offers based on you know, what those players are working towards or where they're at in the game. Um, you know, I'm going to make a lot more money because it's always easier to sell an umbrella when it's raining outside. Um, but what sort of tools and systems do I need in place to be able to actually operate at this higher level of monetization, if that makes sense? Uh, I don't think that more choice is, is necessarily good. I mean, there is a reason why you see only three to five offers at one page. Mm-hmm. Too much is just hard to make a decision. And how oh, we... yeah. I'm, I'm not saying any user would see 500 offers. I'm saying like throughout the gameplay. So like once you hit level five, now you'll get a special level five offer. And when you hit VIP 20, you get, you know, something based on VIP 20 to make that, you know, more exciting and cater to you versus that, you know, same five offers that everyone got. So um, as an example of how I would want it as a player, you know, when I played Clash Royale, oftentimes, you know, I, I have a very prescribed deck of what I'm working on and what I'm leveling up and what I'm playing with. I would go to the store and I would have a offer for some card that I had never used and never leveled up. And it was just a stupid waste of time. Whereas if they'd given me an offer for the last 40 cards that I was trying to get for like the expo that I was leveling at that point in time, that I would have bought it right there. If wow. that kind of makes okay. sense. Definitely. But it really <clears throat> depends on the feature. Uh, I mean, in social casino, the thing that I can connect with uh, the example that you said is um, the, the album, the collection, mm-hmm. uh, that it works. It, it works just like a regular album. I don't know when you're a child and you were collecting stickers and stuff. Yeah, you, kn- you know that they're not printing all the cards, right? you know that there are some cards they're not printing and they're keeping to the end. So if you have a missing item algorithm, 
and you know what you wanna, um, what you what you're missing, I can offer it to you at the end of the third at a, at the end of the season, mm. um, and that's what they usually do. The guaranteed uh, one out of three. Uh, that's where where the money what, where the money is. Each feature you have to recognize what the what's the pressure point, uh, mm. and offer it at that time. Not necessarily the price, but the timing. Yeah. So what would I actually need to be able to, you know, I assume something on like my server or my backend or something, I'd have to be able to set up, you know, this offer for the card that the you know person was missing. So like, what sort of infrastructure would you need to be able to set that up and, and operate it? Well, you need some kind of algorithm. You need to, to understand which player is missing what. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you need some kind of system not to print every card. <laughs> um, and you do a really, really close monetization plan at the end of the season. It's hard work. You need a lot of people there uh, to understand, to operate, to execute. Um, even if you have the algorithm, you need someone to configure it. Um, and run it and check it's okay and then check again and then check the players that already deposited the amount that you planned and just give it to them easily on a challenge because that you need to take care of also you don't want to have people paying too much and not finishing so yeah mm, very interesting so it's almost like when i want to take this step into higher level monetization i need to make sure that when I'm planning a new feature, I'm planning monetization and these kind of systems and stuff as part of it so that if I know I need to write this algorithm and I know I'm going to need it, that needs to just be a part of my regular planning. Definitely. And always prioritize things that are in the basics, keep it, do all the sales and all the uh, stuff at the end that can be added. Mm-hmm. So with this idea of kind of fast iterations, like, okay, I know that I'm going to add monetization to this collection feature, but V1, we're not even going to worry about monetization. We just want to get it out and see how players actually behave with this collection thing, or would you do it a different way? No, 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 never, never do a feature (laughs) without monetization, because then you're going to find yourself wondering, wait, why can't they buy it? Uh, Do a list, do the whole list of everything you want. Do the bucket list. Uh, As many monetization features as you can, prioritize them, choose one or two. I gotcha. You have to have at least one, at least one. At least one, okay. Two, Two is better. Two is better. Okay. Um, think about like that collection feature. Um, how would you take that and tie that back to the core loop to really make it like a, a meaningful value? Because, you know, at the beginning of this, we were kind of talking about really, we want every feature to tie back into the core loop. So how would you take like a collection feature or this, uh, clubs feature or something like how do you how do you tie those back to the core loop um i I know there's some examples out there but like what what would be your thought process of how you connect that in just so everyone can approach that because their game's probably gonna be a little bit different yeah so basically um the collection feature is easier for me to explain uh you have this uh the higher you bet the more likely you are to get better packs so that's the, like the, your input to getting packs. And of course you wanna complete the sets to get coins, not just to get the coins, but also for the, that feeling of accomplishment. But once you get the coins, you're feeding the core game. So this is how it works. It, it really is simple as that. Okay, so I'm gonna reiterate it. So I wanna add collection to my slots game. So when I, spin the slot machine, which is my core loop. Um, I have the option to bet more. Um, every spin is going to have a chance of rolling a pack. If I bet higher, I'm going to spend my coins faster, but there's a higher chance of getting a better pack. Um, collecting these things, working towards a goal is nice. 
and might encourage me to play the core loop more because I'm trying to get more packs to finish it. And once I complete the entire collection of the packs or whatnot, I get a whole bunch of coins, which I can then go back to the core loop and engage further and maybe continue to get more packs in the future kind of thing. Right? Exactly. Awesome. So really it's just about how do you tie this new feature directly kind of back and forth into the core gameplay experience so that it actually, you know, is meaningful and valuable for you to play? Um, so you need to be very communicate, communicative in the UX and mm -hmm. the UI. Uh, usually when you play, you have this, uh, every time you change your bet, you have this bar indication of, of your chances that actually visualizes it. Sometimes you even uh, put the uh, art of the best pack at the end of the bar, just for the feeling of going to max bet and seeing it like shine and give you that in that feeling. And players, I can tell you by uh, experience, they know, they feel, they, they know when you lower the odds, they know it, they complain about it. They, they mention it. Uh, we, we, in the beginning, the first, the first collection ever, not in Slotomania, in a different app, uh, we had a threshold that below this threshold, you didn't get anything, almost never. And, and they just saw it. They came mm. and said, what? It's not like it's mentioning. And so we had to change. We had to reverse it. So... Do you think it's ever a good idea to actually show the, let's say, percent chance of dropping that pack on there? You know, if you're at a one uh, X bet, you have a 5% chance or, you know, whatnot. No, never show that. You're not obligated to show that. So don't show it. Show <laughs> only what you're obligated to because a pack is a loot box. Mm -hmm. um, if you really, really, really want to know the odds of what's inside the pack, you can dig really, really deeply into whatever uh, pages. Usually it's not in the app, it's in the uh, website of the studio. Yeah. And you can find it, but cool. you know, good luck finding it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We won't make your job easy. <laughs> um, yeah, and then if I'm thinking about monetization features of like those packs. Obviously, I could probably sell the cards directly. Um, I could sell a pack. Um, would you ever sell that pack as a loot box where, you know, hey, you have a chance of getting these cards if you buy this pack kind of thing directly? Or does that kind of divorce it from the core loop too much? And so you should keep it just as you can only earn packs by playing the core loop game. So definitely sell, sell whatever you can. Uh, you know, that's a Platica's model. Sell, sell whatever you can. Do as many bundles as you can, but don't like, don't make it too obvious. If you want to give a specific card, keep it to the end. That's the pressure point. Mm -hmm. Give them the, the uh, reasoning to buy a, a better pack with a better chance of better cards and rarer cards, but uh keep keep the monetization of specific cards to the end gotcha that makes sense okay um well we have about five minutes left um so i wanted to switch back to product managers um and i want to talk a little bit about recruiting right now um what do you look for in an ideal product manager candidate? Or if someone's thinking about, you know, trying to take on that role, like what should they be aspiring towards? Or maybe I have a game designer that wants to switch into product management. Like, what do you look for? Well, game designer and product, I mean, it's a really good route. So it's, I, I would say it's easy because you already understand the psychology, you understand the UX, you have a lot of knowledge. Uh, it's much harder to bring people that don't uh, have any knowledge. Um, so I, I prefer someone that's at least playing game. You know, he needs to understand the psychology. He needs to enjoy playing. If he doesn't, it's it's just gonna crash uh, most likely. Uh, but not always, you know. Um, 
I would, uh, it, it has to be someone charismatic. You need to convince people, you need to sell your idea when you're uh, pitching a concept. Uh, you need to know how to, um, how to present uh, a presentation and how to talk to different people. Uh, and it depends on your job. If you're also running the execution part or you're the producer, you need to be a go-to person, someone that gets things done. Uh, but in any case, you have to get along with different kinds of people. You have to collect the requirements. You have to be technical to look at the dashboards. You have to uh, be sensitive enough not to hurt uh, any artist's feelings. Um, so uh, someone, I would say someone that's versatile, that's charismatic, and that's a player. A gamer himself. Have you ever seen a product manager you know, be successful at say like an RPG and then switch over to like social casino or vice versa? Or, you know, if they mostly play RPGs, they're probably gonna be most successful in other, you know, RPG type games. So I can tell you just from my experience, uh, a lot of product managers that I know, uh, they're not social players, they're uh, hardcore gamers. Mm -hmm. um, and usually they're the best kind of products. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not like that. So when you need to pitch a new idea or be innovative, they have so many references in their head. They're definitely going to be much better than someone like me, let's say. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to play different things. Uh, I'm not an RPG player. I'm not a AAA player. So my new thing is the, the VR. <laughs> but I still fall into the category of the casual <laughs> in those games. That's okay. I think there's a place for everyone. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Uh, well, I know we're you know, pretty much out of time here. So I do have one last question for you. And that is the unofficial question because we are on the Mastering Attention podcast, of course. Um, and that is, you know, what's one tip or trick or lesson you've learned over the years to improve, you know, player retention? Like, how do you keep your players playing for longer? Okay, so I have this, uh, this is something that was super interesting to me. Don't be uh, over sure of yourself. A-B test everything, everything, everything. Uh, there's this notion that uh, entering, like how do you enter to the slot? Uh, Slotomania did an A-B test, they got result one. We did an A-B test, we got result two. Why? I don't know. It's different players. It's different. I, I have no idea. Just A-B test everything you can and do it in small, small chunks because uh, first time user experience uh, is something that um, is, is, is comprised of so many little things. So test everything differently. And if you're talking about retention of, uh, you know, old time players, um, you have to have a really good communication system with your VIPs, I think. You have to be giving them, you know, giving them what, what they're paying for. <laughs> yes. More content and quality of life improvements, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, awesome. and an ear, sometimes they just want to vent. You mm -hmm. want to have someone there. That's great. Well, Stav, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if people do want to get in contact with you or they're curious to learn more about that, you know, product management, product manager role you've got, um, is there a good way for them to do that? Yeah, definitely. They can contact me on my LinkedIn um, if they uh, can understand uh, the name, Stav Klausner. <laughs> Feel free to ping me. All right. We'll, we'll try to put a link in there too. All right. Thank you so much, Stav. Thanks a lot.